welcome to Recently Logged, where this week we go international. Ooh. Yeah, so welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Here it's we are. Been like, it's been a, it's been pretty much a month almost since yeah, we recorded. I was surprised. I when I looked at our last episode, I was like, I wonder when 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 that came out. But it said three weeks. I'm like, three weeks? What? Yeah. It's, no, it's flown by. Crazy. Yeah. For sure. Um and in that time, I have left the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> You make it I'm, sound you make it sound so shady or something. I've like, fleed the country. <laughs> I think it would be flown the country, technically. That no, I, it would no? not be fleed? flown. I don't I don't fled. know the past tense of fled. flee. Fled. <laughs> fled. Fled the country. <laughs> I mean, technically you have flown the country on a plane. I've flown over the country. <laughs> You've flown over the country. He's current yeah, he's currently I'm... in the air right now, actually. <laughs> yeah for sure he's no, just I'm levitating not. i'm on i'm on discord with him right now he's just floating like above yeah, his have, desk i have a microphone <laughs> my computer they're all up here floating with me yeah it's pretty cool actually i'm very impressed <laughs> yeah i don't know why you didn't no. pull this out while you were recording like in the u.s you know yeah this would have probably gotten me like millions of subscribers <laughs> on my channel if i had just shown them my process but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But no, I'm in. I'm currently in Belgium. I am studying, um, studying abroad for like four months. I will still be here four and a half months at this point. Um, so I'm gonna try, or at least we're gonna try, I should say, the collaborative <laughs> we to record whenever we can. I guess. Yeah, but my schedule as, as is frequently obviously, as we can. Yeah. yeah, my schedule is obviously pretty tight. Um, yeah, I'm still, you know, I'm completely free, you know, <laughs> at the moment <laughs> to kind of get us back on to, into the flow of things. We're going to just do a, a, what we watched episode. Yes, this is This is going to be our first remotely recorded episode. So I apologize if we end up talking over each other more often than we usually do. <laughs> yeah. The delay, especially being this far away, like, cause Belgium is it's even further away than the uk which we've yeah. occasionally had luke on from the uk i was about to um, say this is a whole this is a whole six hour delay right now that's crazy yeah, i have to wait getting... six hours to hear what you're saying i'm, I'm just kind of <laughs> improving this as i go along uh it's pretty impressive it's actually, actually very yeah it's very impressive actually i have great improv uh intuition so but yeah uh i suppose <laughs> let's let's get right into it yeah let's get into it All right, so we're going to be going over everything we've watched over the past like period since we last released an episode. So like every movie we've logged in our diary, we're going to give a short little review or a long little review, I guess, <laughs> if we want to. <laughs> well, uh, but we'll yeah, see. This will be this will be our first what we watched episode of season 6 and our first episode of season 6 in general. Yeah. So, 2024. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're going from I think the tenth of January forward. January tenth onward, baby. Which I was still there. So these first yeah. several movies, I believe we watched mostly together. 
Yeah, I was about to say that that like little stretch right before you left, we watched a bunch of stuff like together. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. So kicking us off on the tenth, we have Asteroid City. Yeah, this is my first um, rewatch of the movie, like since theaters. Oh, oh, I was like, this is my first rewatch <laughs> of like the year. I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, man, Asteroid City is such a good movie. It, yeah it really it really <laughs> hit this time around too like i really loved this in theaters and i was really worried that it was like the theater experience that i loved and then it just wouldn't be as good at home but it was still great that's interesting because i actually wasn't as into it when i saw it in the theater um like i i was kind of hung up on trying to keep up with a lot of its like framing devices and everything so i i feel like i got kind of a little lost in the noise of it a little bit <laughs> on the home viewing. I was able to kind of, I think tune into it more emotionally, which yeah. made it a lot more of a rewarding watch than like my theater one. So yeah, that I liked sense. it a lot. Yeah. It was but, great. Robbie, you're not following the message of the movie, which or like <laughs> part of the message of the movie, which is to not uh, understand, but just feel I know. I was like, it's so silly that that's like, that was my like kind of thing. But when I watched it in the theater, I was like, I didn't really like kind of I, like I was spent so much time trying to keep up with it that I didn't take the time to feel it out like as I was watching it. <laughs> but like the way it touches on grief is still really profound. I feel like yeah. that's mostly what the movie is about as much as it is about like, um, you know, isolation and like, you know, uh, limited social circles and everything. Yeah, but um, it's kind of like the way yeah. that grief affects, like, puts you into isolation and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah, and I honestly, on the second viewing, it's probably like, I don't, I don't know if I would say my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but close. That's, Fantastic that's so Mr. Hard. Fox and Grand Budapest are really yeah. hard to top. But <laughs> I was about to say, with those two existing, that's so hard. But yeah, no, this is what easily one of my favorites from Wes Anderson. When I watched this in theaters, I felt like I like ascended. I was crying in the theater. <laughs> it was, I loved it. I didn't actually get as emotionally, like I wasn't like crying or anything on the second watch, but I still was just like, by the time it hits around into the third act, which is actually what I've heard most people have complaints about is the third act. I know some people really? have some issues with the fact that you spend so much time with these characters, like the the play characters, and then don't get to see their conclusion. Um, Interesting. But uh, that's not really an issue for me, but around Yeah, time, I was about to say, I'm I never would have like, thought of that as like being an issue. That's, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but you do never really see the resolution of like the asteroid city conflict. Yeah, that is very true. Um, but but no. yeah, no, I think Asteroid City, still a big, like, two thumbs up from me. <laughs> For sure. I actually, yeah, I I rated it a whole star higher as opposed yeah. to my, like, first viewing. So I gave it a full five out of five this time. I also gave it a five out of five. I love Asteroid City. Easily one of my <laughs> favorites from West. One of the ones that I've actually gotten, like, emotionally into. Yeah, you you and I I need that like moment for Moonrise Kingdom for me. I need that to happen. <laughs> well, that was a very that was a very timely thing too. I'm not sure I'd get as emotionally into it now, but w like back when I, I did first watch it, it was very much like a great movie for me to watch then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the next thing that we watched, I think together, uh was The Aviator on the 12th. Yeah. Yeah, on the 12th. Which 
I, I think we've talked about it a couple times now, if you're like yeah. keeping up with the podcast at all. Yeah, it's uh, funny. This is also <laughs> one of my favorites. Like um, it's been in my top four before. It's yeah. Easily probably my favorite Scorsese movie. Um, Which just, still, I, it sounds so crazy to me when you say that, because like it's Martin Scorsese. He's like one of the best directors of all time, probably. And you're like, yeah, it's the aviator, you know, the, <laughs> the Howard Hughes <laughs> biopic. That's my favorite. But come on. No <laughs> other, no other movie I've watched affects me like this one does. Um, yeah. It's genuinely unpleasant, yeah. but it's so great. <laughs> That's the thing about the aviator. And I've seen it, what, like three or four times now. And it's such an, un- it's such a deeply unpleasant movie. <laughs> for me to watch that like i think the first two times i watched it i'm like i don't want to watch that again (laughs) (laughs) see i it's such a deeply unpleasant movie i finished watching it and i was like in awe and i was like i have to watch that again (laughs) yeah that's the thing because like i i've had a hard time analyzing it because of just how like deeply it gets under my skin like i'm like is this just me being like weird or is this like the movie being really good and i think i finally settled on it being like a really good movie and like a really technically sharp movie no i mean beyond it getting really into my head in terms of a lot of like its little tricks and like uses of lighting and editing and everything to make such a viscerally uncomfortable experience for me i get super emotionally invested into what the film is doing and i think it has a great message about capitalism and the way society like kind of overlooks and pushes past the actual health problems of people uh for just the per progress yeah progress above of progress above anything really yeah no it's it's so interesting and especially on this last viewing um i got a lot more emotionally invested especially around the like third act you know like the the big like finale of the movie i was like wow like this (laughs) this is really impressive like I, i i don't know how the emotional scale of everything didn't hit me before but like uh everything quarantine onward this watch was like amazing i was like whoa yeah (laughs) Yeah, dude all of the courtroom stuff i love i love like i don't know how uh, like the way they edited it (laughs) along with the flight of the hercules makes it not only you know condenses the story in a way that it needed but they tie the two emotional like breakthroughs together with that right so good yeah no it's really impressive um, but yeah, I, the aviator, obvious, uh, approval from both of us, especially yeah. Micah. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorites, of course, I gave it a five out of five. I also gave it a five out of five. I was, I had been very hesitant in watches prior, but I think it definitely earned it this time. I adore it. But speaking All of right. courtroom, Micah, uh, up next, <laughs> what did we later that day, we watched Ace Attorney. Yeah. The 2012 uh, adaptation of the video game. <laughs> which we, is we followed a, up is crazy. a Martin Scorsese movie with a video game adaptation. <laughs> which, you know, to be fair, like you, you leave the aviator like emotionally and like physically drained. <laughs> so having something as lighthearted as Ace Attorney is not a bad thing. Yeah. Anyone familiar with the uh, like ethos of Ace Attorney <laughs> <laughs> can probably guess what like a very accurate film adaptation would be like 
It's so and it's very wild. it's very silly and very funny and I don't know why I don't know what the makeup and costuming department was on but they kind of nailed everything they here. They did, dude. Yeah, the characters <laughs> all look like like it doesn't just feel like oh look they look game accurate. It like feels like a good adaptation of their game look to film. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> the whole movie's so weird. <laughs> like yeah, as I can't a project it exists. Um, yeah. the director I, uh, I could pull this up I think is uh, yeah yeah Mike... who did yeah I know the director Mike... I don't think I've seen anything else by them before though yeah because he's well uh Takashi Mike that's what it is or it's probably Mike Mike yeah Mike because that makes me remember his name but yeah <laughs> so the guy who directed audition and Ichi the killer and 13 assassins yeah he, yeah he did this movie which <laughs> makes me laugh so much yeah the fact that the audition guy made ace attorney and like it's an incredibly game accurate adaptation with like a yeah. very silly and campy tone like it's yeah i will say with that my biggest complaint with the movie i think on the whole like it nails the characters in a really fun way but at the same time it's taking like an entire pretty long game story and condensing it into a pretty short movie i mean it's like it's like a two-hour yeah. movie but a lot of the characters and like their arcs feel very flat i don't really like know a lot of these characters as much as i would like to or get to see like phoenix and everything like that like have <laughs> these really interesting bromances going on yeah um so that, like it, it's kind of disappointing it feels like oh man we just got to get through this court case and then this court case and if, if you spend the entire leg work of the film just on getting through plot because there's so much there yeah that that really is it seems like the biggest criticism i've heard of it and my biggest problem with it too is that there's just so much that they have to get through for the like the movie to happen <laughs> is that you you don't really get to sit with anything for all that long and it's not like substantial enough on its own to be like wow i got i, I feel like that was such a rewarding experience it's more like i finished the movie and i'm like wow that was fun and then yeah. I move on you know yeah it didn't really stick with me at all yeah outside of like the fun like stylistic stuff and like the makeup and costuming being fun uh and you know like there's good performances and stuff too like it's a fine movie by yeah. all accounts i just don't think it quite reaches the heights that it could potentially as say maybe a video game <laughs> yeah maybe something that could spend more time you know, with it and get you yeah. invested personally into each mystery i don't know something like <laughs> you that. know something something like that i don't know <laughs> Uh, but I gave it a three out of five. I still really enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't rate it because um, of my whole like rating cutoff thing that I've been doing this year. I would probably give it a three out of five. Yeah, if I was rating it, it was good. Well, speaking of cutoffs, Ravi. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> that's a fun. That's a fun segue. It's a fun it. segue. Yeah. Speaking of cutting things down, <laughs> what did we What did we watch next? Uh, we watched Ghost Dog: The Way of the Samurai on January fifteenth. No, 15th. no, oh, no. Wait, that wasn't what my segue was for. That works no. too. I thought you, you watched The Lorax with us. Oh you no. Didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh i thought you watched the lorex with us we're not looking at each other's lists right now we probably no. should be we're going blind right now um, um but yeah so no, ghost dog is not next that's uh, that that would work though that would that's be why i was like that's devastating like how could you <laughs> but no it was about cutting trees 
That's so yeah. funny. Yeah, no, I, okay. I, I, I like popped out. I think like twenty minutes into the Lorax, mm, I had other stuff yeah, I had to do. Yeah. All right. Well, I have two movies before Ghost Dog, so hold your horses, audience. I'm holding. Uh, on the thirteenth, I watched the Lorax. It's dumb as rocks. It's <laughs> by all accounts pretty bad, and beyond like meme efforts, it's like kind of depressing too because they kind of stripped it of any of its teeth and made it this weird. I don't know, illumination thing. The performances are weird. The animation is downright ugly. But you can't help but have a good time with it, I think. <laughs> it's such a, like, if I can comment on the 20 minutes I saw, I hadn't seen it since I was, like, a kid, like, when we rented it, I think. Yeah. Um. So, like, seeing the first 20 minutes, I forgot how ugly the art direction is, yeah, first of all. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, the soundtrack is like frustratingly catchy, I think. <laughs> right. It's so, it's not even that good, so much, really. No, the, it's like the lyricism. <laughs> I noticed that we were, what the lyricism is terrible. They're yeah. Terrible. It's just awful. <laughs> but the songs are super catchy. I think so that's a good, that's like a good thesis for like how the Lorax itself is like the movie. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, honestly, it's like kind it's, of fun, but like, it's also actively awful. <laughs> <laughs> There's also just so much meme culture that have oh, that's come sure. out of it that makes yeah, it just they, a, an enjoyable watch. I gave the I gave internet it a two has, out of five. Um, has like distorted its legacy in a really fun way. Like I I could honestly see going and like actually rewatching it, right? <laughs> and having a little <laughs> just bit of crazy, fun with it. yeah. But then on the fourteenth, I watched. I went to the theater and watched Night Swim. Um, which i did not realize literally until today was a 2024 movie so that's my first 2024 movie i had no idea it came out in 2024 what the heck yeah i thought that was crazy um (laughs) the thing is about night swim is that it's really bad it's just so bad like and not in a fun way i mean me and Haley, (laughs) i went and watched this with Haley in the theater yeah. We were having a blast, but we were trying to keep it in because we could not stop laughing at just how no. bad this movie is. Um, I'm pretty sure people walked out of the theater um, at certain like dramatic reveals because it was so dumb. That's crazy. I've never been in a horror movie where people have actually walked out. <laughs> yeah, it was... <laughs> It's, like, such a terrible concept, and I feel like everyone knew it was a terrible concept going into it, but the execution yeah. is is way worse than you'd think. <laughs> and there, it takes itself 1,000% seriously. So you have, like, these lines where, like, these characters are getting, like, pulled into the pool, and a character will be like, <laughs> it's cool in the deep end with like a hundred (laughs) percent sincerity and it's supposed to be like a creepy moment and it just doesn't work at all beyond the fact that the entire movie the entire movie's horror is just like stuff almost happening i think like one character dies in the whole movie (laughs) no no way it's it's just like oh they're swimming in the pool something vaguely supernatural is happening and then they get scared and leave. Dude, that's crazy. I would not have, like, pegged Night Swim as a low body count horror movie. It's if anything, so, I would think they'd so shoot low. for, like, 
I, I mean, I guess how do you have like a high body count in a pool? Yeah, because or... like you run in, you run into the paradox that if somebody dies in the pool, reasonably the family would probably leave, right? <laughs> so it's like restrained by its own framing device, which was a bad framing device to begin with. Um, That's and it's so just funny. bad. It's so bad. Um, but I had a fun enough with it that I, I gave it a two out of five as well. It was just baffling some some trash bangers over here apparently oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh, then Revy, what did we watch then we watched jim jarmish's ghost dog the way of the samurai jim jarmish my man <laughs> you're you're such a big jarmish head like you've only seen a couple of his movies yeah i've seen two of his movies i'm like this is like everything i want in a director you know it's really funny because when i am watching a jim jarmish movie which again i've only seen two as well i'm like this seems like micah's whole cinematic thesis like every time Literally. you talk to me about wanting to make a movie it seems like you want to make ghost dog <laughs> the way Literally. of the samurai or Literally. patterson <laughs> it's true it's true <laughs> ultimately like some of my favorite movies are like really like poppy and like scorsese's work and stuff like that but like the movies that i feel always like would be more similar to stuff that i would make are like jim jarmish or terrence malick and stuff like that yeah i was about to say because like on one hand it is really fun to like watch like a casino or something like that but in my mind i'm like i could never make something like that yeah <laughs> this seems like um less so with my like stylistic um like tendencies but like i i get the appeal of a jim jarmish kind of movie you know like it's a very uh literary script and a yeah. very like meditative and kind of smooth execution of everything yeah i love what this film is doing i love how it takes its time and it ruminates on things and it's kind of general message about you know history and the honor code and culture and like the prog like the progress and essentially gentrification of things in a really yeah. interesting way um ties into this goofy like samurai slash mafia story it's so and... strange yeah I, I keep forgetting about the mafia elements when that's like literally most of the movie <laughs> right like it's a mob movie and i did not know that yeah. going into it but like with it being a mob movie and like for all for all intents and purposes being an action movie it's still so mellow which i love yeah yeah no when if you would have told me jim jarmish made like a mob movie <laughs> and it also features like bloody shootouts and like people getting sliced i would be like what <laughs> what are you talking right. about also lots of birds which is epic yeah, I was about to say I have the I have like the letterbox page pulled up right now and there he's it's just Forrest Whitaker surrounded by pigeons. <laughs> it's, how, a, that's, it's a great shot. It's how every movie should be. <laughs> Dude, there's like like one of my one of my favorite scenes of the movie is like he he's outside of this big building where the mob is held up and he's got a sniper and he's like scoping in on people <laughs> and like is about to take a shot and then just a bird lands on the <laughs> i'm losing my terms um uh the like barrel the, of the gun yeah the barrel of the rifle yeah. right in front of his scope and he just looks at it <laughs> and then he's missed his opportunity to do the big shootout and i was like 
I don't know why, but I love that moment. It's like so peaceful and really nails in kind of Ghost Dog as a character really well. Yeah, yeah. And like that sequence in general, there are like a bajillion standout sequences. Like any um, high tension sequence from Ghost Dog, I think is honestly phenomenal. The way that movie manages its like atmosphere and tension while also being like a very um, like relaxed movie when it needs to be or contemplative movie when it needs to be. It's very impressive to me. No, and yeah, it's just such a joy to watch. I love the way it ends. I love what it has to say, again, about culture and yeah. media. And they make a bunch of Rashomon references to the actual, like, book. Which <laughs> right, is really Rashomon funny. mentioned. <laughs> and it's totally up my alley. Also, Forrest Whitaker's best performance easily. Oh, yeah. I um, This kind of did for me what... Uh, uh, Leon the professional did for like Gary Oldman for me, mm, you know, like I, yeah, I never yeah. really enjoyed much of their performances. And then I'm like, Oh, they actually like are a good, <laughs> they're a good actor. Who knew? Yeah, You gotta watch, you gotta watch Bram Stoker's Dracula for Gary Oldman. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm pumped to watch that movie. I'm so excited. But yeah, Forrest <laughs> Whitaker definitely vibed with his performance in this. And like ev- basically everyone's performance in this, like it's, yeah. it's just a, it's a great ensemble great movie great script i i loved it i gave it a four and a half i gave it a four out of five it wasn't quite all the way there it didn't um like especially in the finale didn't hit me quite the way i wanted it to but i think it is like great it's a great movie (laughs) but speaking of brahm stoker's dracula (laughs) (laughs) yeah up next on the 16th of january we have nosferatu the vampire yeah Uh, the 79 version i have not seen i think the other one's just called nosferatu yeah it's just called nosferatu anyway the one directed by your boy werner herzog is he my boy (laughs) he's everyone's boy this is my first herzog feature i had seen a little documentary short he had made called how much wood would a woodchuck chuck and it's about like um auctioneer announcers like Mm. their lives (laughs) yeah it's it's very strange but this is like my first not only my first narrative but my first feature uh that i've seen from herzog let's put it this way remy let's put it this way (laughs) werner herzog is humanity's boy (laughs) i can't argue with that (laughs) but like his um his documentarian like i is like I and I assume most of his movies are probably like this, but like the eye he has as a documentarian, like really lends itself well to a really unique and I don't know, kind of understated atmosphere in a lot of ways with how gothic yeah. and kind of crazy this movie can get. Like it still feels very like grimy and like yeah. real worldy. It's yeah, it's very down to earth. Yeah. No, I absolutely adore his direction on this. Again, just like you mentioned, that very documentary style, especially in the way he decides to take the story in general. And I feel like it also leans to his writing style a lot, his adaptation, because for all intents and purposes, it's a rather faithful adaptation of Dracula, but it takes it in a completely different direction than most contemporary Dracula movies and decides to highlight certain things and certain points of the subtext in a really unique way. 
and understated, I think, is a really great way to put it, because this entire thing, it's not, like, overtly horror scary, and it doesn't have any, like, sweeping romance to it, per se, but it's just, like, this very bleak, almost dread-filled film from the very moment the credits start. Yeah, and since neither of us have seen um like the older Nosferatu movie, I I one of my friends said this is like a surprisingly accurate like remake in a lot of ways, like of that really? movie. Like there's a lot of visual nods to it and everything. Um, but from what I understand, yeah, it, it takes a a like it puts the focus on different elements than that movie does. And I've never read Dracula. I feel like I need to now (laughs) so I can understand what's going on. You should. You should read Dracula. Because there is a shocking amount of Dracula lore that I did not know. Yeah, which (laughs) I... Like his dirt. His dirt, yeah. He's got to have his coffins (laughs) of dirt, Rebbe, or he'll die. I was unaware. How did I, how was I ignorant for so long? I don't know. That's like a big, there's even like, do you remember that game? There's like a board game that has a bunch of different universal monsters oh, and you have yeah, to kill yeah. all the monsters. And the way you kill Dracula is by destroying his coffins of dirt. Okay. I thought that was like just a thing for that board game though. No. <laughs> I did, yeah. I didn't realize like, I really, the only elements I was familiar with Dracula wise was like Dracula. He lives in a castle and there's a guy named Jonathan and there's like another guy named Renfield. Wow. <laughs> and that's amazing. About it. Even, I, and like, there's ben another Helsing, guy named Van Lucy, Helsing. Mina. <laughs> anyway, this this movie's great. I love what it's doing with all of its characters. It's such a unique Dracula in this. Um, he really stands out, and I love like the makeup work and his character design. It's yeah. very unique, um, dude. It's it looks amazing, like the whole and, movie does. But yeah, specifically the makeup and lighting and everything. Yeah, is phenomenal. And the way they take Jonathan's character is really interesting because that's actually one of the least book accurate things they do. And they do something really interesting by the end with Jonathan's character. And I just, I I adore the ending of this movie (laughs) because you have such a, this bleak movie that ties it so directly into its themes about the plague. And you just have that scene at the end where like just everybody is dead and it's so bleak. And like Van Helsing's killed Dracula and Mina and (laughs) it's just... It's just everything is bad. Everything is gone wrong, and it's amazing. I, I honestly, yeah, I feel like I need to read the book because I was kind of, I was puzzled at the ending at first, but I feel like it does fit with the rest of the like, you know, bleak tone of the of the rest of the movie, and like the again, it's largely about or influenced by you know the aftermath of the plague and like the you know and what am I thinking of the like current events during the play? <laughs> like a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the hopelessness and like um, paranoia and just general yeah. fear. That's kind of, that's kind of, I mean, again, what Dracula more or less is based off of is that sense of like this killing force that would come in and, and not just the plague either. One of the big influences of that, I'm losing all of my words. Um, <laughs> That big sickness that was in like all of Europe that made people like super the Black pale. Plague. No, no, not the plague. Oh, the bubonic. Oh, wait, no. no. What? What? Wait. 
I don't remember. Anyway. Different disease. <laughs> yeah, different disease. Super common. It was like it really like it was so common that it became popular to have pale skin because that was viewed as like that that became a trope because so many people would get afflicted by this mm. and their skin would get super pale and they'd get super thin. And that's where like the aesthetics of Dracula come from. I need to I need to read up on my Dracula lore real quick, dude. <laughs> <laughs> again that's like I, the whole I don't know why i'm always blood. i'm always so surprised at how much um like you know richness there is in like classical folk literature and like just classical literature in general i'm like what they didn't know what that was back then they were just <laughs> writing stuff <laughs> no anyway we've spent a long time on this the moral of the story <laughs> i love this movie and i gave it a five out of five um, I really dug it. Uh, I think it kind of drags in a few spots, but that could just be my like weird misunderstanding of some of the elements of it or just me not vibing with it as much. But there are some like really transcendent moments where the score, I didn't even mention the score. The oh, score, the is, score amazing. is so good. <laughs> Tuberculosis, like by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like it's Googling. Uh, but yeah, like there's some like really transcendent, just like pure cinematic moments, and like the, it's really well directed. The performances are great. It's it's a really like inspired production, I think. Um, but yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was great. I gave it a four out of five. Speaking of productions, <laughs> there's I'm no way seg- we can do this for I'm all of them. Segue every movie. Um, <laughs> up next, I believe. Again, we're not looking yes. at each other's lists. We watched. What did we watch, Remy? We watched a little a little ditty called Chicago. Yeah, on the nineteenth. Uh, yeah, Chicago. Which, I mean, this movie won a bunch of Oscars. Everyone knows Chicago. Everyone um, knows Chicago. <laughs> a lot of people do. But this is a weird this is a weird movie. I really loved this movie and I felt so embarrassed for loving it because it's a Rob Marshall movie. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say from the from the cinematic mind that brought you such films as The Little Mermaid 2023 and <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Time. <laughs> Oof. I, I don't know how he did it i don't know how he got a bob fossey musical done so well but yet he's like every other film hit by him is just like dude he did mary poppins returns dude it's crazy because he did the into the woods like disney adaptation yeah. and it's the most juiceless musical like yes. movie musical of all and time it, with one it, of honestly my probably my favorite musical. Right, and it butchers the story of Into the Woods. It butchers the entire message. It's it's really quite astounding how awful Into the Woods 2014 is, um, especially but when sh- you watch Chicago. Yeah, yeah, and it's like good. <laughs> how I've seen some complaints about its camera work and cinematography feeling kind of aimless and meaningless, and that they just didn't really know where to ever put the camera. I didn't really feel that way while watching it, but it is. Um, I like, could see an argument yeah, for that. Could, like, it's not the I most intentionally it. shot movie, but like, it is. It's poppy and it's like functional, you know, at least. Yeah. And it, it's like energetic enough that it's not taking away from any other element. 
you know. Yeah, I was about to say, ultimately, the set design and lighting and costuming, I think, kind of make up for that. Because I think it does a really great job of using its sets and its lighting and its costume. Like, this movie looks so good. The songs, (laughs) of course, are amazing. And they're practically, it's practically just, like, the same arrangements uh, as, like, the original Fosse show. Yeah, which this is my first time ever sitting down and listening to a Bob Fosse show, like, at all, ever. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, like, shocked at how, like, they didn't really modernize the arrangements of it at all. Like, it's still very much a cabaret kind of musical, like, and it sounds exactly like that. Which adapting to a cabaret to film. So cool. (laughs) I can't believe they adapted a cabaret to film like this. It's such a good idea. Man, yeah, and like the it's really interesting because like the meta narrative of it kind of functions in a really interesting way because like a movie adaptation of Chicago makes sense because it's about the commodification of stuff and like yeah. you know, it's able to cut back to like the stage for its musical numbers and it doesn't feel out of place, which is really yeah. cool. <laughs> no, I think that's super sick. I I loved the performances, I loved the musical numbers. I just, I loved the movie. I got really emotionally invested. It's not perfect. I could totally see having problems with it. But (laughs) yeah, for me, four and a half out of five. Nice, nice. Yeah, I I do have like a couple of like just weird, like it's just weird in some spots, but like it's it's a fun enough time for me anyway that I would definitely give it a four out of five. I think it's great. Nice. Um, What did you watch next? After that, I watched... Yee. Okay, so yeah, I have two movies again <laughs> that you did okay. not watch. Okay. Uh, on the 20th, I watched Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Um, we had been showing somebody the Harry Potter movies, and this was the next one. And this is still, I think, probably one of the weaker entries of the whole series. But it's fun. I still enjoy what it's doing on an emotional level, and I really do think it pulls off some of its like darker elements pretty well, considering... But the plot is just so pulled thin that literally every <laughs> single conflict in the entire movie, they'll be like, oh, blimey, Harry, I don't know how to solve this problem. And then somebody will walk in and be like, <laughs> I, Harry, he is the solution to the problem. And that's literally every scene of conflict in the entire movie. Dude, that movie, I don't know what it is about it. Something about it just kind of makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I still have a decent amount of time with it, like good time with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's fine. I don't have too much to add. We did a whole episode on. Yeah. Uh, the if, you wanna, if you want to hear our thoughts about it, go listen to our episode on the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, I gave it a three and a half out of five. Then on the 21st, I watched Ratatouille again. Um, again, we've done a whole episode on this pretty recently. Yeah, so. it was, I think, one of the first episodes of season five. So yeah. go check that out. So go check that out. It also was like my favorite movie ever for a long time. So obviously yeah. I love it. It was still great to return <laughs> to. I hadn't seen it in a while. I don't think I watched it at all in 2023. Um So watching it again was really nice. I gave it a 5 out of 5. Very cool. Then what did we watch, Remy? Then after that, we sat down for a while and watched uh, Edward Yang's Yee Yee. Yeah, my second Yang movie. Yeah. Very cool. Um, (laughs) I also really love what he's doing with these. This is a gorgeous film. 
Oh my goodness, yes. They're like, I, I feel like A Brighter Summer Day was kind of like this, but since so much of this is um, interior locations instead of exterior, you get even more like lavish production design and like lighting. And I, I don't know, it, it is a phenomenal looking film. But yeah. uh, really the thing that struck me about it, um, especially compared to A Brighter Summer Day, is how well he's able to like frame all of these moments so well like in relation to each other like this one has even more of a sprawling uh like ensemble than a brighter summer day has yeah for Um, sure and it follows a bunch of different like main characters and it somehow manages to weave all of their emotional arcs pretty flawlessly together yeah i mean Um, effectively it has crazy like three main characters that it follows yeah to do again, which you mentioned with all of this ensemble and all of these, but also be way less plot focused than a brighter summer day. Like a brighter yeah. summer day has its whole like gang stuff. It revolves around a pretty like action based conflict. Yeah. Like this... somebody does something, then characters react to somebody doing something, that sort of thing. Whereas this is all just like, it's just people living <laughs> life for three hours and it's beautiful and it's like pure art in my opinion it fully understands like the aspect of art in humanity which i really love just the art of living and i think that's that's gorgeous i adored this film i i wish i vibed with it a little bit more i think as much as i really appreciate like how much like mastery and like care and you know understanding went into it's like screenplay and just general direction and performances. I think it's a really thoughtful movie. And I really like a lot of the conclusions it comes to about like the human condition and how we define ourselves around the art we consume and, you know, how we define ourselves by the grief that we experience uh, throughout our lives. But like, I don't know, some of the threads I just didn't connect with as much and all of them are so long (laughs) that uh, (laughs) like, I feel like that kind of, kneecaps or handicaps my enjoyment of it a little bit yeah but like it is really great i would never i would never say it wasn't great (laughs) at the very least no i absolutely yeah i I get that but i just i just i was entranced by what this was doing yeah i wish i i wish i had that because like i think i was just so much more into some of the characters than others just because i related to them a bit more yeah and like when we whenever we'd cut back to another plot line we'd get like a 20 minute sequence of them like you know doing something and i would be like oh shoot yeah we still got like a ways to go here (laughs) yeah well it made like it's a very like by all intents and purposes like a slow kind of boring film and i like i (laughs) i think i might have put it in my review that like i almost fell asleep while watching it but in like a good way (laughs) yeah yeah i get that but yeah i i loved it i gave it a five out of five uh, I gave it a four out of five. I I thought it was great, but it's not quite. I I think I even still would prefer Brighter Summer Day to it if it came right down, you know. Yeah. To picking. One. I mean, I would agree. I would pick a Brighter Summer Day over this, but <laughs> what can you do? But then after that, um, I left. <laughs> I left <laughs> yeah. uh, the country, so our watches together has split. So we'll try what? and be 
a bit more brief <laughs> on these yeah. that we've watched just by ourselves because it's a little less interesting to talk about <laughs> yeah, just one yeah. after another and i have to get to bed soon so yes yes the time difference is uh <laughs> is is closing in on us i think yeah for sure but uh if you want to start off go with what you watched on the 24th sure uh this is i was like micah's finally gone thank goodness now i can finally <laughs> turn on mama mia <laughs> yeah i've been holding him back yeah i i was like ah i can never watch mama mia when micah's around <laughs> I'm a big anti Mamma Mia. <laughs> anti, bring the anti Mamma Mia energy to the podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I watched Mamma Mia for the very first time. I was really excited for it. Um, I am a big ABBA fan just in general. And I like Amanda Seyfried a lot. She's really great, what? I think. Um, <laughs> and uh, I really had fun with the movie too. I sat down and watched it with my mom. I got to see a bunch of really attractive people sing ABBA for a couple <laughs> hours <laughs> while in uh, green screen Greece. So that was pretty cool, I think. That's literally like the whole, that's the entire appeal of the movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, you have like very hot people singing some of the best produced pop songs of all time <laughs> in like a very, very beautiful location. So I I liked it. I thought the... You know, as silly and, you know, kind of, I don't know, camp seems like a kind of cliche and almost meaningless word at this point, but camp is a good way to describe Mamma Mia. <laughs> it's very fun to me anyways. I, I could totally see not vibing with it because like some of the singing is kind of bad and it's kind of weirdly paced and like the whole thing is kind of flimsy and weird, but it's really fun. And it kind of reminds me of the one Bollywood-adjacent musical I've seen, RRR, and the fact that it feels more like a cinematic celebration than any yeah. other American movie I've seen, especially American musicals. Yeah. it's It feels like a party, you know? I loved it. No, that's, that seems to <laughs> I be I gave it a vibe. four out of five. Nice. Uh, on the 24th, I was on a plane... I was also on the plane uh, for the 25th as well. So, Nirvana reference on a plane. <laughs> I could not sleep on the plane. I slept for like an hour on the plane. And I was in a plane for like 11 hours. So I watched some movies. They had in-flight entertainment. I um, was shocked at how many movies you watched <laughs> when I saw you logging them. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah, so on the 24th, uh, I watched Blackberry. Because it was Ooh. it was on their list of movies that they had, and I had been wanting to watch that for a while, but it hadn't really like ever popped up as being on anything to watch, and I really liked it. I think it's really great. Um, it's doing something really unique for like a biopic like this. Like, I don't know, a lot of these kind of biopics, even the more negative ones like The Social Network, which you could more directly compare this to, are like a little bit more uplifting or say something a little bit different than what this is doing. This just feels unique. It chronicles a personal downfall of a character in a much more, I don't know, like almost understated way. Like when you're watching the social network, like that's the whole thing is that Mark Zuckerberg is the worst, but in this yeah. movie, it kind of subtly happens and you have to watch this downfall of this guy to becoming everything that he used to hate 
and watching interesting. the rise and fall of Blackberry in a really unique way. <laughs> and the final scene of this movie, I was like, wow, I, that's really you, good. You witnessed the rise of the Blackberry, Micah. <laughs> yeah, which I think it's funny that I, that like, I'm just, just old enough that like, I, I was like, oh, I, I, we had that phone. We had the Blackberry with the trackpad. <laughs> Which was Michael was just funny. sitting there silently on the plane, like pointing at his screen. Like, I, I know that. <laughs> yeah, but it was really, really fun. I think it has some issues. It's not quite as solid in a lot of its character work as I would like. And mm. it feels a little montage at parts. But that's honestly the vibe I've gotten from it. Like seeing, I think I've only seen one trailer for it, but like, I'm like, this looks like a montage movie. <laughs> yeah. But Matt Johnson, who did Nirvana, the band, the show. He's one of the guys mm. from that directed and starred in this, which is really cool. And yeah, the guy, I think he looked familiar. The guy who voices um, Hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon is one of the main <laughs> characters, which was also fun. But Dude, I gave it a four I, out of five. The Glenn Howerton fan in me <laughs> needs to see Blackberry, uh, I yeah, think. Yeah, he is really, he, Glenn Howerton is really good in this. <laughs> But yeah, I'm a diehard always sunny guy. I, I need to see it. <laughs> uh, on the 25th, I watched Casino, rewatched Casino, hey. also on the plane. I fell asleep for like an hour of it, but I still logged it. This That's is when so I slept. Um, That's great. such a cool movie to fall asleep to, actually. <laughs> right. Great movie. Great movie to watch on a plane. Great movie to fall asleep to. Yeah. Um, I gave it a four and a half out of five. Also on the 25th, I watched Theater Camp, um, which was another relatively new movie that I had been meaning to get to for a bit. Yeah, um, it released like the same time as like Past Lives and stuff, or a little yeah. after, I guess. And it was like, it was it was sweet. It was cute. It's doing some cool things. Ben Platt is surprisingly not terrible. Um, <laughs> Molly Gordon, who directed or co-directed this movie... Um, was really fun and like it's it's sincere it tries legitimately to capture like the young theater vibe but it does it in a way that almost leans on parody with how sincere it is nah. and it's just so little there's so little there it really kind of bugs me this way more so like i know i just said oh blackberry is like a montage film this film is just a montage like all it can do <laughs> like in it in it it's in a mockumentary style so it's not like stylistically yeah. a montage but that's how the writing almost is done it's just like scene after scene of things getting resolved off screen mm, that's a bit that's, yeah that's a bit disappointing yeah that's like most of the movie and it also doesn't really stick very true to its mockumentary style like there are scenes that make no sense to be in the mockumentary style and scenes where they don't really take time to shoot it like a mockumentary. Yeah, I was about to say, you have to, I don't know, maybe this is just a pet peeve of mine, but I feel like you have to be very intentional if you're going to use a mockumentary framing, like have some sort of in-universe internal logic, like this is the kind of crew they have, this is how, the style they're going for, you know? Like yeah. that sort of thing. But it was fine, it was whatever. It was like, it's it's sincere, it truly is. and That's, what, well, that's good. <laughs> you know, what else can you do? The songs were fun. I gave it a three out of five. Also on the 25th, the night that I got to the school that I'm at, uh, several people were sitting down for a movie night 
where somebody was pulling out a musical that they grew up on, and they had <laughs> a Spanish copy of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. That's uh, funny. Luckily, luckily, the film itself was still in English. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't seen this since my grandma showed this to me when we were super young. And didn't the you know, didn't the disc like kind of yeah. blop out halfway yeah. through and we never yeah. finished the movie? We never finished it. Yeah. <laughs> so like I finally got to see the end of the movie, uh, which is not good and really concerning. We missed the most like troubling part of the movie where they go on an entire thing where they just kidnap the seven brides. Like no! actively there's a big comedy montage of them breaking into their houses and kidnapping them. No um, way. And taking them away to their cabin in the frost where nobody can get to them. This is it's actually the plot of a horror movie, but they decided to sing halfway through. <laughs> It's so baffling. Obviously, like the the relationship dynamics and politics of the film are abysmal, but it is kind of fun. Yeah. It's, it's kind that, of like, that's kind of implied with most mid fifties musicals that touch on like gender politics at all. Right. It's got that. It's got that kind of crisp glow of a fifties like I don't know golden age of musical kind of musical, and the yeah. leads are fine, but man. These characters suck. They're terrible people. <laughs> uh, I gave it a two and a half out of five. I, I don't feel bad for not finishing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but here, now back to you, Revy. Yeah, I get to, now I get to talk. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> on the 26th, I went out to the theater with my parents and watched Godzilla minus one minus color which is pretty cool. I found out about it by just opening up the AMC app and being like, why does it say minus color afterwards? I miss but it AMC. is a, it's a black and white cut of Godzilla minus one unchanged. Other than that, they, I think they literally just desaturated it and adjusted like the contrast on the shots a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it looks phenomenal. Like if I didn't give minus one enough praise the last time I talked about it, um, or in our like year wrapped thing, it really is like one of the best action movies to come out. Um, I honestly think it, it's better than like the most recent Mission Impossible entry, which is saying something because I, I think that's a right. great movie. Yeah. Um, but I watched it on a laser projector. It was black and white. It looked amazing. I the sound system wasn't awful this time. <laughs> the theater I watched it in the first time, like the high end was like completely blown out. <laughs> so, like, people would be talking and it would sound like they're, like, screaming into cellophane or something. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really nice seeing it with, like, the correct audio. And I love the way black and white, um, like, accentuates performances. Like, um, this is something I talked about, I think, when we talked, when we had first watched Parasite in black and white. Yeah. It exemplifies um, or like makes the motion and emotion of the film a little more pronounced to me anyway, depending on how you shoot the movie, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it was scarier to me on this watch. It was more emotionally involving to me on this watch. And I I was literally like tearing up scene one. So <laughs> <laughs> Godzilla has it uh, like literally any Godzilla movie. I think I've cried like once watching. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love I love this like lizard guy so much. He's great. <laughs> uh but yeah, I, I gave it a five out of five this time. Uh just phenomenal. Please go nice. watch it, Micah, when you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I can. It's not playing over here. <laughs> I know, I know. 
Uh, later that day, I watched Autumn Sonata, or should I say rewatched Autumn Ooh. Sonata. This was my third or fourth viewing, I think. Great, man. And it's still really good. I forgot how great it looked. Uh, like, <laughs> I forgot just, like, how amazing the color and, like, composition of every shot is. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm so used to seeing Bergman work in black and white. Like, Wild Strawberries was the last film I watched of his. Yeah. And... Yeah, seeing seeing any of that era, like the transition from black and white to color, like any great director from that era, seeing their transition into color is usually pretty astounding. And this is uh, no exception. I think this movie looks phenomenal. It's got a great script. It's got great performances. Uh, we've talked about it a couple times on here, at least. Yeah. And uh, it's really amazing. Go, please go watch Autumn Sonata if you are if you are up for it. I give it a four <laughs> out of five. Uh, and then to follow it up with <laughs> maybe maybe a strange inclusion, but I watched uh, Shrek right after that. My mom was doing <laughs> a, a cinematic scavenger hunt of sorts and needed, a, I, I don't even remember what criteria it was for, but she was like, what about Shrek? I think it was unconventional uh, yeah, romance. Yeah, I was, she was say, looking I think for it's unconventional romance. Yeah, she was looking for an unconventional romance movie. And this is like... This is a central millennial uh, unconventional romance, honestly. It's true. But we have talked about <laughs> it on the podcast before. Go listen to it. Yeah, we did we did a whole we did a whole series on Shrek. I forgot about that. But yeah, it, it's still pretty great. I like it a lot. And then on the 27th, you watched something. Yeah, that on I've the 27th, uh, I watched Pearl. Um, it was on Netflix <laughs> here in Belgium. And I figured I'd give it a go. I still have not seen X, <laughs> um, which is kind of weird, I guess, to have watched this without seeing X. Yeah, I don't know what the crossover is, you know? Yeah, they feel like they wouldn't be that related to me. But like, I feel like having not watched X, it points out more of the actual problems of this film. Because mm. I think a lot of the themes and everything that it's doing like are leaning way too hard on x it's ultimately just a fine movie it's like fun <laughs> mia goth's performance is fun there are some fun moments i like how bright and colorful it is i like yeah. it's like sequences but like especially it's themes around specifically like sex and everything which carries over from x it seems very out of place. It doesn't feel like the film really has anything to say about anything like that. And it's just kind of like, you know, because it's a prequel to X, you know, <laughs> it's a prequel yeah. to X. Like it doesn't effectively have that much to do with Pearl's character, which I thought was odd. Um, and it's ultimately just not that scary. There's a lot of moments where I was just like, huh, like I know it's supposed to be a slow burn movie, but it never had like, Never had its Texas Chainsaw Massacre moment, you know, <laughs> where then it just goes to absolute chaos. It it just is kind of, it, it slow burns literally until the credits roll. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see Pearl and X. I think I'm going to try and watch X first. And if I vibe with it, I'm going to give Pearl a shot because I, I really love the, everything I've seen visually from Pearl at the very least. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. So I'm excited to see it at some point. <laughs> yeah, the costuming, editing, there's like one sequence where the editing gets super crazy and I'm like, oh, look, they're like doing something. <laughs> but it was like only for one scene. It's Aww. not bad by any means, but like there are moments where such a better film shines through here 
Mm. And I wish we had that film. That's uh, crushing, man. There, there's nothing quite like seeing, especially um, for like modern movies, like where it starts to touch on something really unique and then just kind of ends up like falling back into sort of a mundaneness, you know, yeah, stylistically. I think, I think part of that is because it's a prequel to X. So yeah, yeah. I gave it a three and a half out of five. Very cool. Uh, on the 28th, I sat down and watched uh, a mockumentary which was pretty cool. I watched Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping for the very first time, which a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Luke, <laughs> has been uh, talking my ear off, let me tell you, <laughs> for the past, <laughs> I think, like three months to get me to watch Pop Star. And I mean, I was excited to see it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a blast. Like, I, I know a lot of people think it's kind of like, dry i think like almost to its detriment like it's just kind of a weirdly flat experience which i i understand that like it's a very simple movie yeah but i think comedically it's pretty sharp like i think it about 70 percent of the jokes are like absolutely hilarious and like the rest of them kind of range from like good to fine um and it's just it's a blast like i love the music like i i did not expect the music to be as good as it was for you know yeah. pop star but you know <laughs> the lonely islands whole thing is like musical comedy uh songs so it makes sense uh but yeah it was great um i wish the mockumentary stuff felt a little more intentional it feels i don't know like it is it is to a degree parodying like music production documentaries like and yeah. it does that pretty well on like broad stroke stuff but like moment to moment it feels a little superfluous you know like to the actual movie what's going on yeah uh but it keeps the pacing up pretty well uh i love the performances of it i like just so many of the running gags uh and i really admire how sincere the movie is that's that's the big thing that i think will keep people coming back to it is like there's um the the central like trio their whole arc uh together is really like it's it's really sweet and really sincere yeah. and it feels like that's what the whole movie was built around like how much these guys love making stuff together well that's and, cool i don't know yeah it's it's really sweet and like probably one of my favorite comedies from the 2010s easily it's it's really inventive it's really poppy it's fun and i like andy samberg a lot so <laughs> well what did you rate it remy i gave it a four out of five i thought it was great nice uh on the 28th i watched a rather rewatched for like the millionth time <laughs> for the um, bajillionth time dude right uh i rewatched <laughs> bolt the super dog really just bolt um <laughs> and this was my first movie watched with Haley over discord and everything we watched this together which hey. was interesting and it, we had a lot of fun with it uh i really don't have too much to add about bolt but one really funny thing is that when you're in europe it might be called uh it'll like it'll be called bolt but for some reason, well, I'll explain the reason. It it always comes up as Volt. Really? So, like, he's Volt the super dog in the <laughs> European version. Uh, because in Russian, 
apparently Bolt is slang, so oh, they no. changed it to they changed it to <laughs> Volt in a, specifically the French and Russian versions. But yeah. that's also the version we had here in Belgium. So like his his caller would just always say Volt. Uh, when it pops funny. up the title cards, it says Volt. But then sometimes it was really inconsistent about it. Like, you'd be in one scene, and there would be two Volt posters in the background. And one of yeah. them would have been changed to say Volt, and one of them had been changed or left the same and just said Bolt. They have, like, a certain threshold that it's okay. <laughs> right. I thought it was very funny. But, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. I gave it a four out of five. Nice, nice. Uh, later that day, I watched a little TV documentary called The Real and Glorious Bastards, which is about like the group of people that the movie, both movies are based off of. Um, and it was really uh, boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really boring and like kind of poorly made documentary about a, a pretty interesting subject, if I'm being frank. <laughs> right. No, honestly. <laughs> Like, uh, they, they even have interviews with, like, the the soldiers. Like, they're still alive, or at least they wow. were in 2012 when they shot this. Yeah. Um, and, like, that was, uh, that could have been cool, but <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what they were thinking. They just asked them the most, like, cookie-cutter questions and don't seem to have any perspective to bring to the table other than, like, <laughs> look at that. Like, that was kind of cool that that happened, right? Like, like, that was kind of cool. guys. You- Quentin Tarantino made a movie. They got the oldest guys on Zoom and we're like, <laughs> dude, so tell funny. me about that one military mission you guys went on. Remember <laughs> and they that do. Quentin Tarantino movie? <laughs> you guys were in that, right? <laughs> I really need to watch um, the Tarantino movie and like the older one too. Yeah, yeah. Now, I feel like um, because this is not the plot like this is not what the impression i got of what the like tarantino movie would be like in plot yeah i don't Um, think the tarantino movie stays very true to their actual story yeah because it's like these two guys like land in i believe a russian city or no an italian city and they like slowly liberate the the town like yeah um bit by bit But, like, a majority of the stuff they describe is just them, like, running messages back and forth. (laughs) Yeah, like, the Tarantino movie is, like, them impersonating Italians (laughs) to go to a premiere of a Nazi propaganda film where they will then assassinate Hitler. (laughs) Yeah, like, they go over their training that they had. Like, they went through, like, this whole boot camp to, like, you know, like, kill Nazis. (laughs) But, like, a majority of what they describe is, like, one of the guys gets like captured and tortured for a long time, but that's like the most that happens in the movie or in the documentary. Like that's the most they describe happening. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It ends up being very boring despite how interesting of a topic it is. Like it's a very strange and like singular military operation during a very interesting war (laughs) by all accounts. Um, but yeah, kind of, I was, I was very disappointed in it as a documentary. I, I wish it was made with like, you know, a perspective or just, I don't know, something. It yeah. feels like the most cookie cutter TV documentary you could make about this topic. So. Yeah. Well, I was what sad. Did you... I don't know. I didn't rate it. I would yeah. probably give it like a two or a one. Oof. I don't know which. <laughs> well, what did you watch next? Uh, after that, on the 29th, I watched 
uh, Cinema Paradiso for the first time. Uh, and it was really, really good. Who'd nice, have thought it? Nice. I feel like if you have a Letterboxd account, you pretty much are going to like Cinema Paradiso, <laughs> right? Like that's. I still have to watch it. I gotta get around <laughs> to it. Um, like I oh, I think you'll definitely like it more so than I will. Um, but like I don't know, it's it's very sentimental. It's very much. I I didn't realize that it would like sprawl a dude's entire life. Like the boy is like five years old and it ends with him being like 80 something wow (laughs) um so it's like a guy's entire life and i don't know it's structured very in a very like functional way to like make the emotional through lines work really well and like i think the ending is really phenomenal and the sentimentality of it is really endearing and like obviously it's kind of a small town movie in a lot of ways so you get like a lot of um just like broken off subplots with different characters in the town yeah um but it's interesting i i think it's really good uh i would argue even great but like it's just not 100 percent my bag it kind of drags for me at times but it's it's definitely worth watching for like the central friendship at the like the center of it and you know its general perspective about art and, you know, self-actualization through art, which I feel like we've talked about already right. uh, partially. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's really good. I really want to own a theater someday. That's really the biggest takeaway after watching Cinema <laughs> Paradiso. Yeah. Uh, I gave it a four out of five. I thought it was great. Uh, well, then also on the 29th, I watched uh, Gone Girl for the first time, David Fincher which keep watching adventure stuff micah yeah this is one of the (laughs) few i think i've now seen 50 percent of fincher's narrative feature films (laughs) which is cool you're becoming a fincher head micah unfortunately i'm so (laughs) embarrassed every time i've given almost all of his films a five it's so embarrassing no what i i think don't you have a fincher ranking list yes it's so embarrassing Uh, it's so embarrassing (laughs) but darn it uh gone girl was really fantastic i mean if anything gone girl is one of the most loved of his films yeah like everyone i know likes gone girl regardless of if they like you know like fight club or you know any any of like seven you know stuff like that and it's just it it's such a great film from him it really highlights his strong suit so well kind of in the way that the social network does but mm. in a different direction here, um, the performances, the social network. So yeah, badly. <laughs> the performances here are really amazing. It it ended up kind of reminding me in a weird way of like a, a really pulpy modern phantom thread, um, Ooh. which okay. is really unique. And I don't know. I had a, <laughs> I had a blast with this. I loved its themes. I loved its topics. I think it's kind of funny that theoretically this could be like, I, I was watching this. I'm like, this seems kind of a little harmful for like, if you used this, obviously I don't think it was the intention of the filmmakers uh, <laughs> to give the message of like, you shouldn't believe women when they say they've I, been oh, like assaulted. Oh no! But that's like the entire <laughs> thing of this movie is that, she's lying about it <laughs> oh um, yeah it's like it's like when we were watching that um that simpsons episode earlier this year yeah exactly <laughs> where homer and, is like accused of assaulting someone and like the whole thing is like oh it's so bad people are jumping to conclusions it's like okay but like 
I'm, a, I'm like I'm fully. That an seems a little ir- like, That seems a yeah. little like irresponsible. I'm <laughs> fully an premise, advocate you know? of uh, of believe women when they say yeah. stuff like that. But again, I don't think that's what this movie was going for. But I thought that was kind of a no. funny element. Uh, but there's such a great mystery, such a great camp, such a great again like pulp is a great word for this. And these two leads have such an interesting dynamic. I just said interesting like 30 times. <laughs> that is kind of the takeaway of this movie. And I think it feels surprisingly intimate. It's a very different style narrative for Fincher from what I've seen. And I don't know. I was blown away by it. Great film. Uh, I gave it a five out of five. Mike, it's like the best part about Gone Girl is that it's like a movie, you know, like a movie movie, like a go to the theater that's, film. That's how like every Fincher movie, I can describe it as just like a, a movie, like a great movie. It's a movie's movie, you know. Uh, the the Phantom Thread comparison is very interesting, though. I, that makes me a lot more excited to watch it. Um, you know, I was already like, it seems like a lot more my uh era of fincher like the more modern the better i'm finding for him especially with (laughs) stuff like the killer which is like my favorite movie of his um but yeah no i'm excited to see it uh later on the 29th i watched a quiet place part two and it had killian murphy in it (laughs) hey i like that guy yeah um This this movie is kind of interesting. I wasn't planning on watching it necessarily because I, I don't love the first movie in the series, um, which I am calling a series because apparently there's going to be a prequel and a sequel to this movie. Oh, so. boy. A whole universe, um, if you will. Yeah, a whole quiet universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, John Krasinski in this one, it seems like, you know, he had he had his own style to a degree in the first movie but it feels like he's just emulating spielberg like that (laughs) in this one like hardcore like there's a sequence like the movie opens um on day one like the aliens land on the planet and there's like this whole sequence of people like getting killed and like they're running for the hills that sort of thing like it's like war of the worlds (laughs) no it's literally shot like war of the worlds like you get all of these like tracking one shots and like uh like gleaming lens flares and like wide angle lenses and it, it just literally looks like a spielberg movie it's so that's funny. funny yeah that's great <laughs> no it feels it, it just and even like the way it's the whole visual style of it feels completely ripped from spielberg's filmography but not necessarily in a bad way like it doesn't feel like that derivative like it still looks good and i don't know I think honestly, its biggest downfall is just not being that interesting on a yeah. script level. I feel like I feel like that's kind of a shame coming from that movie because like John Krasinski's direction, like you mentioned, it, it wasn't like the strongest thing in the first one, but it like it felt like he was trying something. Yeah, and it feels yeah. kind of like a shame that he would just rely so heavily <laughs> on somebody else's style for this. I mean, and that's a little reductive, obviously. Like, that's, I'm kind of saying that a bit as a joke. And, like, obviously yeah. Michael Bay's production influence is definitely felt on this. He's a, he's one of the producers for this movie. Mm. Um, so that visual style, partially what I'm talking about, could also be applied to Bay's movies. It's just this has a bit more elegance to it, so I, I like to assign it to Spielberg a bit more just because yeah. I'm more familiar with that. But, like, I don't know. The performances, like, the cast is still really good. Killian Murphy, you know, for his kind of strange as his character is like i think he gives a fine performance in this um i don't know i i feel like i've 
uh, spent too much time with The Last of Us because that's what I compare every like <laughs> post-apocalypse story to now. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I I just played The Last of Us Part Two for the first time last year, and like it has so much to say about um, like communal um, like uh, connections through terror like like in the in the midst of terror and this is kind of touching on that like this is you know obviously they're dealing with the grief of losing their dad at the end of the last movie spoilers for a quiet place i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) you've you've Um, ruined everything ruby but yeah like killian murphy like kind of takes on like the father role obviously like that seems like a no-brainer but like i don't know it doesn't it didn't connect with me very much um, on like the grief, uh, anything it had to say about grief just felt kind of cookie cutter and just, I don't know, it, it doesn't have that much depth to it, but it is fun. Like at the very least, I think it's more fun than the first movie is like to watch. It's a bit more action. <laughs> it's a bit more of an action movie. Comparing thematically <laughs> to The Last of Us Part Two is a pretty high bar as well. Yeah, I was about to say, I think that's a really like thematically rich and well-written story. But I, I honestly would prefer Part Two of, of A Quiet Place uh, and The Last of Us to Part One. So. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. hot, hot takes, but correct ones. Yeah, uh, yeah, the alien stuff is interesting. There's still some like good sequences, and it's not, it's not really bad by any measure. Uh, it just kind of feels like it could have been stronger or just dug a bit deeper in some spots like it it feels very just thing happens like it feels like an episode of tv almost yeah but obviously written with a little more um like velocity than something like that might have yeah so i don't know i thought it was good i would probably give it like a three i didn't rate it um yeah yeah what you what you watch next though remy uh a good movie, a great movie, a fantastic movie. Um, <laughs> I watched uh, Jacques Tati's Playtime, which this was his, I think, third to last movie. This is like in the later stages of his career. And I found out that at the time of its production, it was the most expensive French film ever made. Wow. <laughs> which is crazy. Because the movie's about people like walking around and like standing in buildings and like... <laughs> just talking and stuff hope he, but, hope he used that well that budget dude it is insane like th- this movie is actually crazy um you need to watch it at some point but uh it has uh monsieur hulot in it still he plays more of a like peripheral role in this like he's not the main character like in mon oncle or anything like that yeah um but like it's all about the uh, isolation through modern infrastructure like that's the entire thesis of the movie and how it has forced us to connect in different ways than we used to be able to um i don't know it's it's really interesting because he's uh, tati's gone through all this trouble of like constructing these very meticulous sets like that's why it costs so much he he built all of the sets for this movie yeah. and it's like all these like big office buildings and like there's a nightclub that they constructed for this movie. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a really ambient film. It was <laughs> shot for 70 millimeter, and I didn't watch it in 70 millimeter. So I feel like I didn't really get the full experience, but I played it as loud as I could. I watched it on the biggest screen I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's just it's shocking how well Tati's like entire cinematic thesis is shown in this movie. 
like it, it touches on the strange alienation of modern like uh apparatuses like buildings and cars and roads and everything that kind of separate feel, us and yeah uh, that kind of like feel like they separate us in a very odd way like in a very alienating way yeah um but it also is about like the joy of life and like finding time to you know still experience like pure connection with people in like those environments like there's an entire i think it's like 40 minutes long there's a night like i mentioned the nightclub that's one sequence that goes on for 40 minutes straight where you literally just stay in the nightclub the entire time and there's like a bunch of running gags it is a comedy by the well, way <laughs> well yeah i figured from jacques tati yeah i was about to say tati's a really great comedic filmmaker and like there's just so many just like completely amazing bits and it, it's just so inventive and it's like the most maximalist version of a Tati film that I can imagine. So I, I am honestly kind of blown away that it exists. Uh, it's really phenomenal. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I awesome. give it a five out of five. I could probably go on talking about it for <laughs> forever, but you know, <laughs> Yeah, well, Please up, go next, watch it. <laughs> up next, uh, I watched on the 31st of uh, January, uh, Melina, which is a very, very interesting <laughs> film. It's actually directed by, um, how do you say his name, Giuseppe... Tornatore, Tor- I think. Tornatore, probably. Um, the yeah, same guy no, who when I saw you um, log it, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched Cinema Paradiso. What's going on here? Yeah, same person. <laughs> Um, but this was suggested to me for from my YouTube channel, actually, because I'm doing another 12-month movie ranked. I just put out a video on my channel, which you should go check out, where I had done a challenge. And then I was doing another one. And not only am I doing suggestions from my friends on like Twitter and such, but I was also going to do one including any YouTube comment suggestions. So, hey, if you're listening to this, go over to my <laughs> YouTube channel which I have changed its name to just my name. So it's just Micah Grayway now. Nice. Um, <laughs> you dig the rebrand. <laughs> the rebrand is in progress. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so go over there, watch it, comment a movie. But this was one of the movies that was suggested, which I feel they missed the point of me going on for like 10 minutes about how wild of a movie uh, The Forbidden Door is to suggest to someone you don't know. Because <laughs> they suggested to me a wild movie. Um, oh, no. Melina is trying to do a lot, um, and it's one of the most unpleasant movie-watching experiences I've ever had. It's no, such a really? deeply, like, not inherently in a bad way. It's it, it's specifically talking about um, misogyny and objectification and kind of male gaze, but it's doing it in such a gross feeling in your face i was about to say does it feel like exploitative it it kind of does but it's so difficult they they made their point of view character in this story not melina who would be a really interesting character to follow (laughs) unfortunately she only gets she literally only gets 10 lines in the entire movie what um (laughs) and like she's still a really great character and even then i understand like why they would do that what they were going for with that and her performance is fantastic but instead we follow this uh like 12 year old kid who's hitting puberty for the first time 
um, and who becomes obsessed with Melina, who is like everybody in the town thinks she's just the most gorgeous person ever, and they treat her terribly because of it. There's some genuinely like really, really intense and serious topics that this touches on. Um, yeah. But it does it in such a weird perspective from this annoying, stupid little kid. And <laughs> in some ways, like, the town and everything are almost fantastical, like, almost ridiculous. That it doesn't tonally match a lot of what they're going for. Um, so I wrote, like, a crazy long review about this. Because I think there's just, <laughs> there's there's so much subtext to the film. What it's trying to say yeah. about fascism and about the objectification of women, especially in film. But also, it's got, like, a weird coming-of-age message where it almost feels like it, like, celebrates the fact that this kid essentially stalked her and, like, obsessed over her and peeping tommed her multiple times. And, like, it's just this weird, uncomfortable experience that ultimately leaves me questioning, like, why make it like this? Like, it's such yeah. a simple narrative of, like... Oh, sometimes, like, again, fascism can lead to, like, mob mentalities over um, moral outrages and stuff like that. And that can destroy yeah. people's lives and turn people into scapegoats for problems that they create. Um, and, like, that's interesting. And you could also comment on the way men objectify women and the way that like some women also treat women poorly because men objectify that like women and it's got so yeah. much going on but i don't i just don't understand why you choose to deliver it in this way interesting um, yeah because when you said like when i realized it was the same director as cinema paradiso and then like i read part of your review and i'm like what <laughs> Wait, it's, what? it's like it's like fine it's it's by all accounts a good movie but at the same time it it's really rough to get through and honestly i feel like i would feel a lot better about it if it was even like directed by a woman instead of a man or yeah. if melina was yeah. the point of view character but just all of these things combined make it a super divisive movie both between men and women that's one of the things i looked out for in reviews like how many of these positive and negative reviews are written by women and like it's a pretty <laughs> even split so like it it literally yeah. just depends how you view it but ultimately um lola the 81 version by um rainer werner fassbinder is doing so much similar and is so much better that i would just say <laughs> watch that instead it's much That's more funny. palatable also talking about fascism and the way it uh, relates to moral panics about um objectification of women <laughs> i wonder if um i wonder if all of this guy's movies are about fascism because cinema paradiso is about like religion and fascism and art like those are the main three things it talks about over well, the course of the movie i'm assuming he like it's like it's like a miyazaki situation you know when <laughs> yeah. you're growing up in the aftermath of world war ii and you were from yeah. italy fascism is gonna be a big thing exactly yeah i feel like yeah. it's kind of unavoidable at that point <laughs> yeah i gave it a three out of five i didn't give it a like because i honestly don't want to watch it again but it's such an interesting movie i wouldn't suggest it but it's yeah. doing something uh on the 31st i watched embrace of the serpent for the very first time and i i don't really know how i feel about it <laughs> Um, some people are like super into what it's doing. Some people are like, this is weird. 
<laughs> and I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't know. I it's, I like I like a lot of its ideas that it has. Like its thesis as a movie is kind of interesting, and it feels like the filmmakers have the best intentions. Yeah. Um, with what they're trying to do, because this could so easily dip into some weird like strange exploitation like exploitative kind of movie yeah. uh, with what it's based around um but like i don't know it seems like they took a lot of care and like worked very closely with all of the people like like people groups that it's about so like i really admire that like it seems like their heart was in the right place but i really don't understand a lot of the appeal like dramatic appeal of the movie yeah. <laughs> like for a majority of it um, like, I think the last 20 minutes are really interesting. It has a lot to say about, you know, obviously colonization bad, <laughs> like no duh, <laughs> but like, um, the slow loss of spiritual connectivity in the world, like how, yeah. how it's like slowly been choked out by colonialism and, you know, other factors as well, obviously, but like, I don't know, it, <laughs> it doesn't really seem to come to any sort of meaningful uh, conclusion until the last little bit of the movie, which is really cool. Like, I, I like it a lot, but like, I don't know, a lot of it just seems kind of pointless at the end of the day. It's touching on organize, like organized religion and like the clear bad things that went on during the historic time this takes place in. I don't know. It's, it's a very, I feel like I'm, not the right person to to talk about it in any sort of depth. Yeah. Um but I I do admire its last little bit. I like uh in general its thesis. Um so, yeah, it's neat. I would not watch it again, but mm. I don't know. I think it's I think it's worth one watch, you know, if it interests yeah. you at all. I was going to say I wanted to check it out for sure. Yeah. Uh if you were to rate it, what do you think you'd rate it? Oh, right. I forgot. Uh, probably a three, I guess. I, I don't yeah. know. It, cause like, it's not, it's not bad. It's not, but it's just not my bag at all. Like, it's just <laughs> not my thing. <laughs> well, uh, real quick, I have two more movies and then we'll be finished up. Um, yep. so I have on the 1st of February, I watched, um, Avatar, the way of water. I watched this with Haley um, she had not seen this and yeah, we, we actually, I actually started it. Um, I, and I, I put it as logged on the first, but we watched this over three days, unfortunately. Whoa. Um, because, I did not know that. That's yeah, funny. Time things came up where I didn't have time and she didn't have time. So we ended up having to split this between three days. Um, but it's such a good movie. I almost wanted to up it to a five on this watch, just because, like, each watch, I'm just like, this is great. This is so good. Like, all the problems that I have with it just fade away with each watch. But yeah. I believe we did an episode on this. <laughs> so go check that out. Um, I'm pretty sure we did an episode on it, right? Uh, yeah, we did an ep- We did a Way of Water episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then on the fourth... Oh, I gave it a four and a half out of five. Then on February, it would be so 4th, crazy if like we didn't. <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> well, I know we did we just, one on the first movie. Yeah, yeah. No, we did. Yeah, no. I remember making the thumbnail for the Way of Water. We had to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on February fourth, I watched N- Nimona for the first time, which had been a movie I'd been meaning to get around to for a while, and it was really good. I really liked it. 
it's not like the greatest thing in the world. I would say, honestly, it has a lot of similar problems to the recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Um, mm. It has some of the same, like, kind of weird writing points and, like, that kind of thing where characters will just pop to where they need to be and seemingly no, <laughs> like, it, do it doesn't work fully on a visual level or even, like, a story level. It feels like they wrote each scene of where the characters needed to be and then we're just like, yeah, whatever. They don't, it doesn't really have to make <laughs> sense. Um but really, where, where the standout of this is, of course, um, the characters and the themes that it's touching on. Um, it's a very, I, you know, it's a very LGBTQ movie, um, which it was almost shut down for that because this was originally a Disney, like it was owned by a company that Disney owned, I believe, Blue Sky, yeah. actually. Was it Blue Sky? Uh, I don't think it, it was might Blue have Sky. just been a 20th century thing. It might have, yeah, maybe. it might have just been a Fox thing. But anyway, they were going to shut down. I'm not familiar enough with it to know, but um, but then Netflix ended up getting the rights to it and put it out, and like both it touching on those themes and the way it touches on those themes is really interesting and I think important as a film, especially Nimona herself is a really interesting character. Um, and again, like kind of similar to across the spider verse in a weird way, a really good, like trans allegory. Um, and then like the character, they're just, it's just such good character work. The two of them are so much fun to watch. There's a lot of really good, like comedy moments in there and just the setting and everything about it works super well. I'm not the biggest fan of how the animation itself looks, it's just, mm. I don't know, it's it's not the greatest looking thing to me. But, like, Ballister <laughs> is, is such a good character. And and I cried at the movie. I cried. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it just, it feels really sincere, really special, really sweet. It's not doing anything groundbreaking on a cinematic level, but I, I'm really happy that it just exists, especially being that it almost didn't. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Film. One of my friends um, in their review, um, I don't know if you follow them, but Screening Notes uh, wrote a pretty lengthy review about this movie. Mm. And they were talking about how much they admire like a lot of the um, like thematic stuff about it, like yeah. how rich it is. <laughs> you yeah, know, for, for in spite as... of its like weird kids movie trappings at times yeah i was about to say this like in spite almost of like its weird yeah. structure and pacing it does it, it, like its characters are so rich and it thematically does like kind of a question the establishment almost like anarchy style film way better than most like non-kids movies i've ever seen do that which yeah. is really impressive yeah. Um, no, I'm really looking forward to it. It's it's on it's pretty high up on my priority for like Oscar nominee watches. Yeah. Um so I'm planning on seeing it pretty soon. And at the end of the day, it's just a really fun, flashy, goofy kids movie. And I appreciate <laughs> that. It's great. I gave it a four out of five. Very cool. And, and that, that is, is what, what we, we watched. watched. Isn't that we crazy? kind of said it at the same time <laughs> close close <laughs> but then again we have so much delay who knows if we did or i know not. i was about to say i this is all relative i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you guys for listening uh hopefully we'll be able to do somewhat of a consistent episode basis i doubt we'll do every week um, no yeah i don't i don't think that's achievable <laughs> yeah i doubt it but i would like to do episodes on like specific movies going forward for the season yeah while yeah. i'm abroad 
Um, hopefully this is still listenable. We're probably not as, again, cohesive. I was about to say, it's it's probably going to take us a couple of episodes to get a good rhythm going uh, <laughs> on which one of us is speaking, you know? Right, right. But hopefully you um, guys will still enjoy this. Thank you guys yeah. for sticking with the podcast. Yeah, the, uh, congratulations to us, I suppose, on the beginning of season six. Yeah. If you're, if you're tuning six. in, thanks for listening. 2024, <laughs> baby. Yeah. And we will, we will catch you guys later. Goodbye. Bye.